I want to start this morning by asking you a question, and the question is this. I want you to think of uh, the top five best sermons you've ever heard. And who was it that gave the message? And what was the message? Okay? So I want you to think about it. Just in your, is your, brain, in your brain, try to process that. Top five sermons you've ever heard. Right? Now, I'm going to ask you another question. I want you to think of the top five influencing people in your life. The top five people that have influenced your life up to this point. Okay? Now, which was easier to locate? Was it the message or was it the person? I think we all know the answer to that. By the way, I'd like to think that, uh, one on, okay, yeah, you're in the top 100, that's okay. Um, so <laughs> last week, we started talking about, in this whole series called Cultivate, we started talking about how to, how to cultivate our relationships with each other. Today, we're going to talk about a different kind of relationship, and that is a, a discipling kind of relationship. And as a Christ follower, a Christ follower is a disciplined follower of Jesus. If we take it serious, um, we, we cultivate these re- relationships, and we call them discipleship relationships. And you might say, well, where does this whole discipling concept come from? And it actually comes straight from Jesus. Actually, uh, right before Jesus departed from this world, he spoke these words. Now, I don't know if you've ever talked to somebody that you're never going to see again, or maybe it's their dying words, but you just know if these are the last words that that person is going to say, you're going to lean in hard. and You're going to go, man, okay, this, is, this has got to be serious. I want to hear this. These are the last words of Jesus before he departed. And so uh, we find, this is actually called the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, and he says this, Then Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples, right there. Make disciples, he said, of, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And, and Jesus taught us a lot. So this is where this whole discipling idea comes from. So he commands us. Now, when, when, when we read the words, sometimes it just seems a little too big for maybe someone. We're like, whoa, whoa, all nations. I, hey, I'm not a missionary. I'm not a, like, I'm not a pastor. I, I, I'm not that way. But if you, if you break it down, basically what he's saying is go disciple. And we do that one person at a time, one life at a time. How do you change the world? One person at a time. And, and so it's a it's a responsibility and a privilege that every one of us have to disciple somebody in our life. And it always begins with family. That's the, that's the starting point. We'll talk about later. Moses has some words to say about this in the, in the discipleship process. But it begins with family. So Jesus grew up in a family. He had brothers and sisters. His brothers and sisters are actually mentioned in the story of the Gospels. He had a mom and a dad. He grew up in a family. And so Jesus, when he was a kid, he was discipled by his parents. I mean, some of us are like, like, oh, I never thought of it that way. Yeah, but as he was being raised up, they were teaching him scripture, and he was learning the ways of, of God. So he was discipled in his home. That's the primary relationship that he had where he was discipled through. So today, we're going to look at a relationship between uh, the Apostle Paul and a young guy named Timothy. And so if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn there, 2 Timothy chapter 1. And while you're turning there, let me tell you a little bit about this. Uh, first of all, this is the very last letter that Paul, the Apostle Paul writes. And he 
describes himself as being an old man by this time. And he uh, has developed a relationship with this young guy, Timothy. And uh, now, this is what we know about Paul. Paul, to our knowledge, was never married. To our knowledge, he never had children. But he had a lot of children in the faith. And Timothy may have been his favorite. We don't know. But so let's pick it up in uh, chapter 1, verse 2. He says, To Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve, as my ancestors did, with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I I long to see you, so that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. Now, you may not have picked this up, but Paul says something there that is so, so important. He's describing this, this uh, discipleship that took place in the life of young Timothy. And who does he credit for the discipling? His grandmother and his mother. Now, to us today, you might say, okay, point taken. What's the big deal? The big deal is the first century. In the first century, literally, women did not have a voice in the first century. The men made all the decisions. It, was, it shouldn't have been that way, obviously. But that's just, that was just the way life was back then. And the Apostle Paul says, I want to give credit where credit is due. It was the grandmother and it was the mom who passed down the faith. They were the ones that did the discipling. And the reason I think it's important to say this is, is I know, you know, being, being a mom these days, being a mom and dad, it's tough. Raising kids is one of the most difficult things you'll ever do. It takes courage to raise kids. How many parents want to say amen to that? Oh, yeah. And so, and then, you know, sometimes I think moms feel a little left behind because, you know, you're doing a lot of the heavy lifting. I'm not saying the dads aren't involved, but I think moms, you do a little more. And there are those hours, you know, when you're with the kids and, you know, they they have the flu and you're stuck at home or the kids just being bratty and, you know, you're just going through that season. and And you're like, does anybody know what I'm going through? Does anybody understand the sacrifices that I'm making to raise up this child or these children? And I just want you to know that God knows. And I want you to know that I hope the Christian community knows of the sacrifices that you you made. And that's, that's called discipling. And you get credit for that because one day that child is going to become an adult. And what you did, the investment you made, is going to make all the difference in the world. And maybe you never thought of that as a discipling relationship. But as a Christ follower, that's exactly what it is. So that one of our greatest contributions that we can make is not necessarily something that we do in life. You know, in our culture, it's all about, like, success, right? So it, it's something that you do. It's, it's the amount of money that you made, a company that you started, uh, in the entertainment world, you know, you got famous. Uh, in the athletic world, you did something and, and set a record. But what about somebody you raised up? Not too many people get credit for that. Somebody that, that you gave your life to that. So in, in 2 Timothy 1, verses, verse 5, it says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois. Here we go again. And in your grandmother, or your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you. That's, that's powerful. Somebody that, that you raised up. So the other day I was reading a story about this lady right here. Check her out. Um, that is uh, Linda Herring. Let me tell you about Linda Herring. She's 75 years old, but for 50 years of her life, she raised up children. 
foster children. I don't know how many she raised up in 50 years. We were guessing a while back. Not 100, not 200, 300, 400. She raised up 600 foster kids in her 50 years. Her and her husband, Bob. And by the way, they had eight of their own children. Three of them came to be adopted from the foster care system. Now, this is a woman who is dearly, dearly loved by these children that she raised. A lot of them were, were crack babies. Some of them had uh, you know, mental uh, deficiencies in their life. She just brought them all in. She just loved these kids. And this is an award. This is one of the many re- awards that she's receiving for bringing these kids up. She's, she sees the opportunity that she had, the time that she had, and she invested in these kids. And that's what we do. We see that that's part of the discipleship process. It says, but as for you, as he's talking to him, he says, continue in what you've heard, what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know from those you have learned it. So he's saying to young Timothy, Timothy, my son, look, at it, just keep on keeping on in the ways of the Lord. You know, your, your mom invested in you. You know, your grandmother invested in you. I'm investing in you. And that's what we get to do. That's part of the discipleship process. Now, you, you might be here this morning and you're saying, well, you know, here's what I got to pass on. Not much. Like, not much. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I don't know scripture. I'm, I'm new to church. Um, the, the whole thing is kind of, you know, I'm, I'm sort of trying to figure it out. But if, if you're 12 hours ahead of somebody else, then use, leverage those 12 hours to teach them what you know. Okay, you don't have to know the Bible, although I strongly encourage you to read the Bible. We talk about it all the time. But what you got a, you got a story to tell. You got something that happened in your life. And you, even if you're 12 hours into the faith, you can start discipling the person next to you who knows, doesn't know anything. All right? So whatever you have, pass it on. Disciple, if, if, if it's a child in your home, if it's a, a coworker, if it's somebody that you're playing ball with. I just, whoever that person is, you're like, pass it on to them. And then we have to think generationally, because this is what Paul is doing. Notice he's, he's mentioning the generations, that we have, to, we have to raise up every generation to build on the next. Isn't it exciting, when you think about it, that Jesus began this movement, and this movement was began when he invested into 12 guys. One of them was a fail. 11 guys went out, and they started this movement called Christianity. And it begins to make its way out of Jerusalem, into Judea, out into the, to the countries, pretty soon through continents. And 2,000 years later, there are billions of followers of Jesus because of this discipleship process that Jesus, for three years, just sat down with these guys and poured his life into these guys and, and discipled them. It was a generational thing. But, but we always have to be after it because what if... There comes a time when we don't invest in that generation, and that becomes the last, tragically, generation. When I think of generations, I think of, you know, the way that we label generations these days. All the uh, sociologists are having a blast, I guess, you know, labeling, you know, you've got, uh, like, I'm a boomer, and my parents were the greatest generation, and you have the Gen Xers, and, and you have the, the millennials, and, and uh, the Gen Zs now, and all that kind of stuff. And they all have these labels, these stereotypes. And a lot of times, if you notice, the stereotypes are not necessarily very good. Have you, have you noticed that? It's like, it seems like they identify the worst part of who we are. And so here's the reason I want to talk about this for a second is because if you're going to invest in somebody, do not label them, stereotype them, pigeonhole them into, oh, you're that generation. 
you know, but when we invest in people, hey, look at they may not like the music you like. They might not drink the coffee you drink, the beer you drink. They may not like the entertainment you like. They may not have the politics you have. Who cares? Just invest in them because they're unique. They're, there's nobody like them. Just pour yourself into that person and, and, you know, and then just let Jesus take care of the rest of it. Okay? Are you on board with me? It got real quiet for a second. I thought, man. So just raise up a generation. Now, here's the backstory to um, Paul and Timothy. So if you go back to chapter 16 of the book of Acts, it says, Paul came to Derby, this is kind of where they first met up, and then to, to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. Uh, the believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey. So Paul comes along, and I, I, I love this. In, in my mind, I can sort of see it happening. He comes along, and he's hanging out with this young guy, Timothy. And he's hanging out with him, and he's going, I like this guy. I, like, I, I see potential in this guy. You know what? I'm going to invest in, these guy, in this guy right here, Timothy. And, and as a matter of fact, uh, I'm going gonna, gonna to start you know, traveling with him. I'm going to invite him and, and travel with me. And, and Timothy gets to be a part of the great Apostle Paul's life. I think of that very first question that I asked you, who had influence in your life? I'm guessing it was probably somebody that really invested in you. Somebody that spent some time with you. Somebody that you knew really cared about you. Maybe somebody that saw some potential in you. When I was 24 years old, very, very new, going into ministry, I knew that ministry would be the way of my life. And um, just as green as could, could be, I did not know anything. I don't come from ministry. Nobody in my family's ever been in, in ministry. So I'm sort of just trying to figure it out. And there was a guy named John Milton. Great name, huh? John Milton. And he comes alongside of me. He's about... 10, 12 years older than me. By this time, he's married, and he's got a couple of young boys that are seven or eight years old. And he, he just basically invites me into his life. He just took a liking to me. And, and, and basically, he was discipling me. Now, when I say discipling, it wasn't that we sat down together, and he had a manual, and he said, okay, fill in the blank. It wasn't any of that kind of stuff. It was just life on life. It was just like, Steve, come and hang out with me. And he lived in this little town called Placerville, up in Northern California. Anybody know where Plasterville is? This really, really cool little town. And I used to go hang out with him over there, and I watched how he did life as a, as a pastor and a person that was in full-time ministry. Now, this was so important to me because I didn't know. To me, I looked up at people that were you know, full-time in ministry, and I thought they were like a different breed, different cut. Uh, and, and so I felt like I had to like act a certain way. I just didn't know how to act. So I thought, well, I wonder how John acts. And so I followed him around. I discovered that uh, at that particular time, they had a racetrack in town, and he was really into racing. And so he had a car, number 10, and they used to call him Crazy John. And he'd be on that racetrack, and every, everywhere he went in that town, people knew him. He was a real funny guy. He wrote a, a movie uh, for a movie column in their local paper. He was a movie critic, and they knew him that way. And uh, I see, so I, the guy that I saw with his wife and with his family, and when I saw him, at other places in town, he was always the same guy. He, he didn't change. And so what I got from that was, he's just himself. Like, I don't have to like, act any different because I'm a pastor or because I'm in ministry. And he deeply invested in my life, and it made such a difference in my life. He saw something in me and really helped me on my way. 
That's a, that's a good picture of discipleship right there. It, it's life on life. Now, the next level of, of, of discipleship is it is about Scripture. It is about teaching. Teach, remember, Jesus said, teach them. Teach them the way of my, my, my commandments. So we have to saturate our homes and our lives with biblical truth. I, after all, when you sign up to be a follower of Jesus, you're, you're, you're basically subscribing to a new way of life. You're, you're, you're talking about a new allegiance my life is not my life anymore. I don't live for Steve Bombacci anymore. I don't live to follow the cues of the culture anymore. I live to follow the ways of Jesus. And that's, that's where the scripture comes in. Like, I have to take this serious. This has to, to be a, a big part of my life. And so he says to young Timothy, but as for you, can continue what you've learned and become convinced of because you know that those you've learned it from and how from infancy when you were a kid, you've known the Holy Scriptures. Why? Who invested in him? Remember? His mom and his grandmother, right? Right? Uh, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. He's saying, Timothy, you were a disciple well. And you just stay after it. You keep learning. You keep growing. You keep developing. Now, one thing we know about Scripture, it can be a beautiful thing in our life, or it can be a bad thing, depending on how we use Scripture. Because, basically, Bible verses, and, and we, by the way, here with our kids, we teach them the Bible all the time. See that, that verse at the bottom there, Psalm 119, 11? I learned that when I was a kid. I learned at King James. Thy word have I hid in thy heart, that I might not sin against thee. Okay, So I went through Sunday school when I was a kid, and I learned all these verses, and it's, it's in me. But the question is, and it's the bigger question, did it get in my heart? It's always about that. Did it get in my heart? I never forget one day, I was surfing at one of my very uh, my favorite spots, and I was just getting ready to actually to go out. And uh, I had my my trunk open, pulling my board out, getting ready to put my wetsuit on. And a guy walked over to me, and uh, he he was asking me for money. And uh, he was he was a little drunk, you know, his alcohol was over his breath. And I and I said. Um, no, I'm not going to give you money, but I, I think you might need some help here. And so we began to talk about, you know, his, his uh, alcohol problem. And then at some point, uh, you know, he discovered that I was a Christ follower, and apparently he had a background in that. And this guy began to just quote scripture to me over and over and over. And I'm like, whoa, this guy is full of scripture. Like, he knows it. But I said, can I, can I take you down and get you some help? I was ready to just jump back in the car, take him down to a rehab or whatever. And he goes, no, nah, I don't need any of that. And he just bailed on me. And I, case in point here, here's a guy who had this scripture in his head, but it wasn't in his heart. And mom and dad or whoever we're discipling, that's what it's all about. It's not just about memorization. I think, I think uh, memorization is a great thing. But it's really getting it deep into, into our hearts. This is why Moses said this. So Moses is teaching the way of discipleship, and he says in Deuteronomy chapter five or 6, verses 5 through 9, this is in the message translation, by the way. He says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart. Love him with all that's in you. Love him with all you, you've got. Write these commandments that I have given you today on your hearts. Get them inside of you. I love that. And then get them inside of your children. Talk about them wherever you are, sitting at home or walking in the street. Talk about them from the time that you get up in the morning to when you fall into bed at night. Tie them on your hands, foreheads as reminders. Inscribe them on the doorpost of your homes 
and on your city gates. Basically, you hear what Moses is saying. He goes, get it into them. Get it inside of them. Now, this, this is what I know is so true, is that some things are better caught than taught. For instance, when I was growing up, obviously one of the greatest influences in my life was my dad. And my dad gave me a lot. I mean, there are some things that he gave to me that are so valuable to me even today. But then there was some stuff that wasn't so great, you know, because he was human, just like me. He was a great dad, but he wasn't a perfect dad, just, just, just like me. And, and so one of the things that he taught, that I caught from him, he actually didn't teach it. Well, kind of he did too. But I caught it from is so my dad was all about winning. He was about winning at all cost. I mean, to the point where he, his saying used to be, a good loser is still a loser. <laughs> Just win, baby. Just win. And so that, that really got into me. And I caught it. And it wasn't a good catch. Because I ran with that for years. And man, I was not a good, fun family guy to be around. Like, you know, we're doing family board games and I'm losing, you know, and pretty soon I'm cheating because I want to win so bad. And my kids are calling, Dad, you're cheating. I'm like, no, I'm not, you know, and then I'm lying and, you know, and just terrible work and all the wrong way. And, and, you know, because of my competitiveness and I'd be watching my favorite sports team and, and it was the end of the game and they were losing and the kids would slowly start to like make it their way out of the room because they knew I'd be screaming at the television set. It was terrible. Now, here's the good news. I reformed. At some point along the way, I said, you know what? I do not want my kids to get this into them the way that I got it into me from my dad. And so I, I changed my ways, and, and, and uh, I'm, I'm a good loser today. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good. Still very competitive, but, you know, I've, I've learned the ways of how to lose. Um, then, there's, then there's my daughters. And, you know, I have two daughters, uh, and, and I have uh, some grandchildren. So my daughter, Rachel, has these two beautiful children over in New Mexico, and my daughter, Summer, lives in Ventura with three of her, her daughters, her kids, and um, when I watch them, when I hang out with them, and I love having an opportunity to hang out with my grandkids, but I watch my daughters. And when I watch them, seriously, this is what goes through my mind. How did they, come, how did they become such incredible moms? I mean, really, I mean, they are so good. I'm thinking, like, where did they learn that from? And then I think, ah, they learned it from the best, my wife. It was It was caught. They caught it. And I see it all the time when I'm with them, how they care for my grandchildren and, and you know, those difficult times they're going. And I watch them and I go, oh, that was, they did that so good. Oh, yeah, Karen did that. She taught them. And they caught it from her. Notice it says that John 3.22, Jesus spent time, some time with them, speaking of his disciples. It's, it's, it's time invested in that you spent. And after a while, so much of part of the, the process you, you catch it. So that, that when you're talking scriptures, when you're talking about, yeah, I want to teach you this scripture, there's meaning and there's, there's, there's purpose to, to it. That means that we need to find ways to incorporate scripture into the daily moments of our life. That way it makes sense. You know, just if, if you're discipling somebody and you go, well, this is what it says. Great. How do I, like, what does that actually mean in, in the real world? What does that mean in my life? A bunch of years ago, uh, my son Stevie and I, he was 17 years old. He's my oldest son, and we were not getting along at all. He was in a like crazy, rebellious 
season of his life. There was so much turbulence in the home. There was so much tension. And I didn't like him. And he didn't like me. And I remember there was this uh, mission trip coming up to Nicaragua. And uh, I thought, well, you know, I'm going to go on that mission trip and just, you know, get away from him and just try to, uh, you know. And I started praying about it, and I really felt very strongly the Lord said, I want you to take Stevie with you. And I'm like, no. He's a brat, man. He's being rebellious. I don't want to bring him with me. And uh, I just, but again, just like God just I impressed on I take him with you. So finally, and I didn't even know if he would say yes, because we just were not getting along. And finally, I said, hey, Stevie, you want to you wanna go to Nicaragua with me? And he was like, yeah, all right. Okay. So we, we go to Nicaragua, and the first thing we did is we flew to the Caribbean side, and we went to a place called uh, Bluefields, and it's um, uh, a place that has great need, but we were over there working on a Bible college and, and just, just doing some building stuff and painting and things like that, some renovation stuff. And so we're side by side, and we're painting, and we're working, and we're doing all the stuff, and we're serving together. And I'm thinking, this is pretty cool. I mean, really started getting along better. We, we took some interesting trips uh, in that area, up rivers, and I was speaking at churches over there, and and then we flew over to this little place called Corn Island and did some snorkeling. And, and then we made our way back to the Pacific side. And we spent the last three or four days surfing together. And it was like, wow, this is really cool. I wonder if he's learned anything. So while we're sitting in the water, you know, surfing, I looked at him and I said, so Stevie, what do you think of Nicaragua anyway? He says, Dad, this place sucks. <laughs> I'm like, really? This is what we've learned? <laughs> but I said... Well, Stevie, you know, and again, he's 17 years old. I, I said, the reason that we're here is because the place sucks, okay, in your words, all right? The reason we're here is because we want to serve. Have you noticed how poor everybody is over here? Yeah, Dad, they are super poor. I go, yeah, we're here to serve them, you know, and I, I got to talk about that a little bit. And, you know, I think it was very, very beneficial for him, and it made sense of the whole, like, Jesus and serving and reaching out to people. Scripture came alive to him in, in that kind of way. And to this day, he's a, he loves people and he loves to serve people. I just want to say that for all of you parents or for those of you that you're like trying to make Scripture come alive to people, just serve. It's so powerful when you just begin to, to serve other, other people. Find ways to incorporate Scripture. And then finally, the last part of discipleship is find joy in calling out the gifts of others. So look, look at what, what he says here. He says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through laying on of my hands. So apparently there was a point in time where the apostle Paul laid his hands on young Timothy and, and he, he called out some kind of a gift in his life. I don't know what that gift was, but he said, so pay attention to that gift. He saw something in him, in his life, and, and it was his joy to do it. And I think really one of the, one of the funnest things that we can do really is to look into somebody's life as we get to know them and, and you know, time in and finally say, hey, I, I see something in you. We, we call it this. We call it the I see in you principle. And the I see in you principle is you're, you're actually spending time with them. And, and if you pay attention, if you pay attention, you'll start to see something in him. So I'm going to throw out a, a few gifts that you might see in somebody. Like, like, for instance, maybe you've never thought of this one, of this one, but you're watching them and you're saying, you are a great problem solver. Now, wouldn't that be better than just hearing, hey, you're a great guy. You're an awesome woman. I mean, you know, everybody wants a, you know, a good old pat in the back once in a while, and it's great to hear that, those words of affirmation. But what I'm saying is be specific. Like if somebody says, Steve, you're just a great guy, I'm like, oh, wonderful, you know. Can you tell me what's so great about me? 
You know, I, I, can you be a little more specific? And so, I mean, that, that's a lot more meaningful, and that's a part of the discipleship process. How about this one? I've been watching you for a while, and you've got the gift of mercy. Like, it's all over you. I can just see the gift of mercy. That would be meaningful to somebody. How about this one? You are a leader. Man, people are just drawn to you. You have influence. You are a leader. How about this one? You're a teacher. You know, you're just, every time I turn around, you are, you don't even know it. But I'm watching you, and you're showing somebody how to do something, and you're teaching them, and being a teacher is just in you. And there, there, I'm sure there's a problem. Maybe you're here today, and you don't even know that about yourself. But if somebody's in your life, and they're just going to call it out, how meaningful would that be to you? How about this one? You know, one of the gifts, the spiritual gifts, is being a prophet. That's kind of a scary gift, right? But there are prophets out there. We call them truth tellers. It's the person who will say what nobody else is willing to say. And they're a truth teller. And you say, you know what? You may not call it a prophetic gift, but you say, you're a truth teller. And we need truth tellers in our world. A servant. Wisdom. Calling out wisdom. And on and on the list goes. But what I'm saying, if you're going to disciple somebody... Get down to the nitty-gritty. Get down to the specifics to really help them on their journey and just call out their potential. Parents have a unique advantage when we look at our kids. We should be able to see what other people don't see in in their life. In 1 Timothy 4.12, it says, Don't let anybody look down on you, Timothy, because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech and conduct and love and faith and in purity. Basically, what are you saying? Look at Timothy... This is going to be a tough road. You're young. People are going to, you know, they're going to come at you because you're young. Um, they're, they're sometimes going to say, oh, come on. You know, you don't know what you're talking about. And so he's trying to, he's trying to give them some, some confidence. And that's one of the things that we, we get to, like, look into the lives of the ones that were disciples, whether it's our kids or somebody else in our life, and say, hey, look, it, here's the thing. I believe in you. We need people in our life that will say that. I believe in you. And I, and I know that you're going to do well. I, uh, at one time, when I was in youth ministry some years ago, many years ago, I had this uh, couple walk up to me with their kid. And this couple looked older to me. I'm like, because, you know, usually parents come up and, you know, they look like not that. This, this, these, these people were like in their mid-50s, I think. And they brought their teenage son up to me. And, they, and, and so they, they said, can we talk to you for a second? I said, sure. So we walked down the hall and... Uh, they say, um, so here's the deal. We had Jason, his name was Jason, we had him late in life, and, and we were not prepared to be parents. And I'm like, uh-huh. And so we brought him here. I mean, because like, he, just, he sits in his room, and he plays video games and stuff, and like, we don't know what to do with him. And I said, uh-huh. And they said, so just do something with him. And they turned around, and they walked away. <laughs> I'm like, serious? Are you kidding me? I mean, it's all you could see in your kid was that he plays video games in his room. And so he was my project. And so for the next several weeks, uh, I spent time with him, and I just watched him, and I thought, you know what this kid needs? He just needs somebody to to actually believe in him, and he needs some socialization. And so, you know, we had a pretty good-sized youth group. And the next thing I know, man, I see him laughing. I see him just really getting involved, you know, with the other students. And within a year, he was like one of the leaders in our group. And within three years, he was on school campuses all around our community, you know, investing himself with, with other students. And today, he's in full-time ministry. But, but, they, but you just have these people that they just could not see what was so obvious because, I don't know, maybe they weren't paying attention. 
I mean, I, I think that, that says something to you and I that, that if we're going to disciple people, you've got to really, really be invested. You've got to pay attention. You gotta, there's got to be time in. So here's, here's the thing. Whether we choose to or not, we're going to impact the next generation. We're going to influence the next generation. And the, and the question is, how are we going to do that from a discipleship perspective? How are we influencing that next generation? And what are we passing on to the next generation? Is it something that will, they'll look at us and say, you believed in me? Is it something where they'll say, you taught me how to read the Bible? Is it something where they'll say, I watched you, and now I'm trying to, to do what you're doing? Um, what, what about this? Imagine the difference that you and I could make in the world today if we raised up just a generation that simply loved Jesus. Simply loved Jesus. So I want to leave you with this great challenge, and it's not unique to me. One time the Apostle Paul said, I mean, he just threw the gauntlet down, and he just said, follow me as I follow Christ. Are you prepared to tell anybody that? See, there was a time in my life I thought that was just too big for me. And I don't think I really understood. Paul was not saying, follow me because I'm perfect, because he wasn't. He was just saying, follow me, because I'm really following hard after Jesus. And that's so much a part of this discipleship process. I, 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 I tell people all the time, follow me. You're not going to see a perfect guy. Sometimes I break the speed limit. Sometimes I do things. I'm, I'm not a perfect guy. But here's what you're going to find. You're going to find a guy following hard after Jesus, giving everything that I have for Jesus. And I hope that you catch that. Are you willing to do that? Let's pray. Lord, when we think of the short life that you lived in this world, 33 years. When we think of those last three years and you sat down with 12 guys, you just invested yourself in them. You you just gave them time and you taught them. And how that was so transformational that today, 2,000 years later, here we are with millions and billions of Christ followers all over the world. And we get to be a part of that, Lord. Help us to take that serious. I, I pray for anybody who's here today who, who feels defeated, who feels that in some way that they could never do that. Maybe, maybe nobody ever believed in them. Help them to know in this moment that you believe in them that you see in them, God, something powerful and beautiful. And that their life can make a difference to even the next generation. So speak to us specifically, God, about the people that are in in our life right now. I I pray that we're seeing faces. We're thinking of different people in our life that we can begin to disciple. We pray this in Jesus' name.